Wait, wait, before you put your phone down, if you love this podcast, please give it a quick review. Thank you so much. Okay, okay, here we go. And then there'd be another slide and it would be, and also needs to tweet at least three times about this initiative. <laughs> yeah. It was like a, a metric that they were tracking. It was like an OKR. Like we need to get awesome to tweet this many I, I times like, about this many things. I feel like there's a direct correlation between willingness to get called an idiot on Twitter and earning money. <laughs> Hello again and welcome. I'm Eric Jorgensen. I don't know much. I still don't know how to spell the word rhythm, but I have some very smart friends to help me figure things out. And if you listen to this podcast, then no matter who, where, or when you are, you do too. Together, we will explore how technology, investing, and entrepreneurship can create a brighter, more abundant future. Today, my guests are Al Doan and Austin Allred. Al's a regular to the show, a partner in our early stage tech fund rolling fun. And today we have a good friend of Al's and a fantastic founder, Austin Allred. Austin is the co-founder and CEO of Bloom Tech. It was previously known as Lambda School. You might know it under that name. Austin's also pretty, pretty Twitter famous. He's got a great presence and some great takes on Twitter. Bloom Tech teaches people how to code for zero upfront costs. They totally de-risk technical education. It's a badass company. I admire it tremendously. They've grown super quickly over the last six years. I don't know what kind of numbers they're doing. I know they've raised $120 million. I know they've educated thousands of students, um, many, many thousands of students. And today we're going to talk about the evolution of Bloom Tech. Everything Austin has learned uh, as they've sort of evolved from this scrappy startup to a tech company. Al is at a very similar journey, and they just kind of spar and trade lessons and share things that they've learned that are going to be helpful for you as a founder or an operator or in whatever you're doing. We riff on a few things. We talk about how AI could impact developer education and how Bloomtech's using it already, hiring executives, managing boards, all kinds of interesting stuff. This podcast is one of a few projects I work on to read my book, blog, newsletter, or invest alongside us in early stage tech companies. Please visit ejorgensen.com. That investment fund I mentioned, Al's a partner in. We also have a third partner, Bo. We've all been angel investing for years. We managed to fund a few billion dollar companies between the three of us. Uh, This fund that we started last year lets us invest your money alongside ours into some of these companies too. We look for the most promising founders of early stage tech companies we can find around the world that we think can 100x uh, and build something beautiful that improves all of our lives. If you love this episode, these conversations and these lessons, You'll love learning about the companies we invest in. And as you'll hear, Al actually did invest in Bloom Tech early on. So this is a very key conversation as, as an example of some of the companies that, that we like to invest in. I'm honored that many readers and listeners have already joined the fund as co-investors. You can learn more at rolling.fun, which is linked in the show notes below. Credited investors can invest with us through AngelList today. You can check out some of the podcast episodes previously with Bo and Al to learn more about Rolling Fun. Those are linked in the show notes as well. If you have any questions or you'd like to hear more, please reach out. Our conversation will start shortly with Austin and Al. Until then, here are the show's sponsors. And if you're pulling out your phone to skip them, that's another great opportunity to leave a review for this podcast. It really means so much. It's how the show grows. Thank you so much. One of the biggest leaps of leverage in my life was when I started working with an EA or an executive assistant through Athena. It's the best way to buy back your time and your freedom and add leverage to your life. Athena will hire, train, and match you with a full-time EA based in the Philippines. 
Then they provide you guidance and accountability and playbooks to be sure that you and your EA are both successful together. They absolutely obsess over specifically leverage, giving executives and founders and investors leverage, taking things off your plate on a daily basis and helping you live this incredible life. Uh, Ivan is my EA. We have a wonderful relationship coming on two years now. He helps me gracefully handle a very full plate personally and professionally. He's contributed to managing rental properties, wedding planning, running multiple businesses, and much more. He publishes every single episode of this podcast. It very literally would not exist without his help. So open your browser, type in athenago.com and sign up. There's often a wait list to get matched with EAs. So plan ahead and sign up right now today. There's no commitment when you do that. And you'll learn something just by going through their quick application process. If you want to just learn more about it, um, here's some of the playbooks hear what the pros are doing with EAs. We have an episode with Athena's CEO and COO. Episode number 38 is overflowing with valuable ideas. Their CEO has five EAs that work like in shifts around the clock, no matter where he is traveling on earth. It's a fascinating system and I love it very much and you'll enjoy learning about it. One more time, go to athenago.com and be sure to list me, Eric Jorgensen, as your refer. Another new sponsor is Bread. It's a agency of technical founders, designers, engineers, founded by very good friends of mine. They will help you as an early stage founder, either expand your technical team or be a surrogate technical team until you manage and they will find your own co-founder. They will help you along the way. So they'll help you build a roadmap. Uh, they'll help you determine your right tech stack for your product. They'll help you recruit and onboard your first technical team members, even find a CTO or a co-founder. They're not your typical dev shop. They're very founder oriented. These are founders themselves. Uh, they have started their own successful companies, very multi-talented, very thoughtful about structuring this in a win-win way. Cannot recommend them highly enough as people and as just talented engineers and designers. So go to madebybread.com. And again, if you reach out to them, please tell them Eric sent you. Now with both ears and everything in between, please enjoy this conversation arriving in three, two, one. I'm excited to, to bring you dudes together. I know you guys go way back, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you don't, I don't know you where don't have you to met. bring us together. We're bringing you together. <laughs> yeah, you're allowing me to pretend like I know you better than I do. That's beautiful. Yeah. Are you really 6'9", by the way? 6'9"? Me? Yeah. No, I'm 6'7". Oh, me or 6'7". Which he says six, because nine. I'm 6'6". Six, six, so it's fine. I'm 5'6". So, you know, <laughs> it up. Austin gets free piggyback rides from us, uh, <laughs> so wherever he wants to go. If you wanted to hire a personal Sherpa, I think you could, Austin. Probably, yeah. I <laughs> basically am a Sherpa, if you think about it. So we're good. That's fair. All right. Eric, What what's this show about? What are we doing here? Uh, we're, sh we're shooting the shit. Oh, this um, is it. We're already in it. This is it, yeah. Austin, where, no, where are you going? Are, like, are we on? Oh my gosh, when are we on? Like, yeah, 20 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All that was off the record. All of it. <laughs> we record but everything. And that's what you need to do one of those. Like, he had a Netflix show for a while, and he'd be like, All right, and now we're going to go to commercial. And then he would just like start, you know, shooting the breeze with the people. They had no commercials. It was a Netflix show. <laughs> so people thought they were going off camera. And then he would be like, And we're back. <laughs> it's one of my favorite bits that I've ever seen. Wait, Austin, are you in uh, St. George now? Is this home? 
Uh, yeah, it's temporary home. We're bouncing around all, all the time, but but yeah. I remember when you were living in San Francisco, you told me a great story about a man that tried to stick a lollipop in your daughter's mouth, and you're like, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I never yeah, want to be was, here again. Uh, my wife was like, I don't know if I can handle this place <laughs> anymore. Um, has it, San Francisco has a lot of pluses and a lot of minuses. We'll put it that way. But, yeah, no, it's, yeah. A, it's a full ledger on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Of all the creepy stories I've heard about San Francisco and, and lived, that's, I think, the worst. Yeah, it, was, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> I was the homeless man. <laughs> that, is, that is like such a, that's such a, like, I'm going to take this. This tastes great. That child needs this. Let me give it to them. Right yeah, now. It, I mean, it's specific enough that people don't like question if it's real. Like, no, <laughs> right. Uh, like I, I couldn't make that up in my wildest dreams. And someone's like, Oh, we need to like make sure that you're in a safe area. Like, yeah, that's like the Presidio. Like that's, you know, uh, that was not like in the tenderloin that that occurred, but anyway. So Southern Utah is, uh, is delighting you right now. Dude, the pic, the Instagram looks great, man. Like every night I feel like you get the perfect walk with the family. Yeah, you're, you're like, really evangelizing Southern Utah effectively. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, we, you know, we, the, the amount that we pay here versus San Francisco is obviously, you know, laughable. And people hear like everything's so expensive. You're like, you don't even know what expensive means. Uh, yeah, we bought a house that's like up against the red rocks. And there's a trail that runs through our backyard and there's a pool in the backyard. And so it's, it's just a fun, fun spot to be pretty idyllic, but it's a good time. Dude, I, I feel like, like the last time we hung out was in your, uh, your like penthouse office downtown San Francisco when yeah. Lambda, Lambda could do no wrong and like you, you could just get into monster leases and stuff. And I was like, dang, dude, look at this. Are you guys, do you, that, still, do you still even have an office? Or are you guys? No, home? that lease, um, it was a sublease. Um, so it was like a one year sublease with a, you know, contractual right to go three years. Um, and then it ended in like June, 2020. You guys, you can, you can keep that He's one. Like, this just in all buildings half off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll let you guys take that one back. And actually we, we had just leased a giant office in Lehigh as well. Um, in one of those, you know, big, uh, point of the mountain buildings. I think it was. I can't remember how many square feet it was, but it was a lot. It's like 5,000, 6,000 square feet or something like that. You know, I would go swing by and there'd be like two people there during 2020. And they're like, no, don't get rid of the office. I'm like, ah, well, we can, we can find something that's not this. So we, we got lucky. We'd subleased it to, to another company. And yeah, we were, we've been office free for, well, I shouldn't, there is a, we technically have an office in a WeWork somewhere. I don't even know if I should talk about this. They were, were required to have for regulatory purposes so they can come uh, and inspect student records. And it's literally like a hundred square feet. And on the door, it's in a WeWork somewhere. And on the door, yeah. there's like a sign. It's like, if you're from the Bureau of Private Post-Secondary Education, I've stepped out, give me a call. <laughs> and, uh, and then we are required to keep all of our student records on file. So there's a flash drive and, a, and it has to be in a locked filing cabinet. So there's a locked filing cabinet that if you open it up, there's a flash drive. In there. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. Very clearly not what was uh, being thought about when the law was written, but we are compliant. So okay, we're good to go. go. 
MacBook Air running inside the cabinet that you just airdrop files to. <laughs> yeah. I love, yeah. That. Yeah, exactly. I love that that's your cost structure competing with universities that own like entire towns and power plants and everything. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit different, a little bit different. We, you know, have, uh, what was it? I saw Harvard now has more administration than faculty or than students for the first time ever. So like uh, literally a sub one to one, you know, teacher to student or admin to student ratio. I'm sure teacher to student. Yeah, still teachers, teachers are not where they're, are not <laughs> what they're investing. Admin in. to student. Yeah. It's, you know, we can win on cost structure. That's easy. Uh, you should have to win on everything else. That's, that's the, that's Harvard was so funny. I, I am now an alum of Harvard uh, because I of that OPM program. Yeah. And, uh, and I would like, I, I feel like, a third of the teachers are exactly what I thought a Harvard professor would be like magical in the classroom. A third of them are the worst teachers I've ever had in my <laughs> life. And then a third of them, I'm like, you're unremarkable in every way. And I was like, that's kind of every university I've ever been to. Right. Like that, like in my mind, it was like the threshold to teach there would be amazing. You get there and you're like, no, nah, man, you guys are just shuffling people around like everybody else. Yeah. If anything, it's the opposite. Right. Cause you can like, if you went to Harvard and all of your teachers were mediocre, you still, you know, thumbs up, Harvard. Um, yeah, yeah. If you go to like... You're incentivized you know, to like, oh, it's yeah, still yeah. amazing. Yeah, if you go to like Southern Mississippi Community College and everyone sucks, you're like, that freaking school, you know, didn't do what I wanted, so. Dude, how is uh, how is the Bloom Tech world these days? Dude, it's really good. Um, I kind of like, we're in a really good spot now where... Like, so we, we, you know, we kind of rode this way, this narrative slash hype cycle where in my mind, we've kind of always been, you know, right here. And the hype cycle went where it was like, oh my gosh, they can literally do no wrong. And we were like, yeah, we're probably not that good. And, and then they were like went, throwing hit pieces at you. They're like, they yeah, suck. Right they failed one guy one time. And then it went to like, oh my gosh, they're the worst thing ever. And we're like, we're not that bad. And now we're in a lucky spot where like, what the if you go back and read the articles of like or like the perception of what people thought would be true about us like the quality of the team and instruction and product they're all now what we wish that they were when all of the hype was there but all of the hype is gone and it's awesome like i don't have to it used to be it i mean i think people underestimate how difficult it is to operate in that environment where like don't get me wrong it's awesome to be like everything you do becomes a an article the next day but it was literally every message that i would send to students would end up in some you know online magazine somewhere it's just like and every message to employee every like every word that i said would be like I know that someone's going to try to take this out of context and try to slam me for it. So you operate in a world where it's like, how do we not accidentally say anything that could potentially rub anybody the wrong way? And you just can't run a business like that. You fundamentally cannot. And now we're like, you know what? We're just going to do what we think is the right thing. And nobody cares. And it's awesome. I wouldn't say nobody cares, but like, I don't fear, I don't have to, you know, get calls in the middle of the night, like an article just dropped and, you know, 
you need to get your PR team to respond to this reporter who's not going to change anything because they don't how, care anyways. How, anyways, but, <laughs> how much know, did that affect uh, like the actual operating of the business? Or was it just annoying? I go back and forth on this because what we probably should have done would be to like the goal of the business is to find a way to do the right thing regardless of what is being said. But when the pressure from the press and from like that flow directly to students is so intense, you have to like take that into consideration when you're thinking like, what is the right thing? So honestly, it's like, it's a little bit paralyzing because I mean, imagine like, you know, look at like Elon Musk now we're in, to be clear, we're nowhere near the order of magnitude of that, but like, Good. Same, Thanks same. for clearing that up. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you you ha- you have to like become like they're now at the point where he's basically just going to do whatever he wants, and people are going to write the stories they want, and like, who cares? But we weren't that we weren't strong enough as a business, I don't think, to do that yet. Now, now looking I mean, back, like in year, you were a year or two in and, uh, and got like blessed by Silicon Valley, I feel like. And then, and then the, the, the outcome, like the, the point that you guys set that you're like, we're going to go and build this great thing. That's going to like revolutionize this thing. Everybody held you to that standard as a two-year-old company. We're like, you're not there yet. I can't believe it. And, and like, like there's no grace for the build out or for putting the team together, or the ability to fail on like our small cohorts. So we can do it right with our big cohorts. It was, it was wild to watch. Yeah. The, the funny thing is like, that's never changed for me. Right. Like I'm still on this path to like all the stuff that we were saying about how we're going to train, you know, million people a year and we're going to change education. Like that's still all 100% true to me. I think the rest of the Valley is not like there are a few people who still, you know, get it and believe and would invest if we needed investment, et cetera, et cetera. But like you also, the advantages we have now are, you know, at the time, you know, you're trying to recruit people and your inbox is like full of resumes of people with absolutely incredible pedigrees. Right. And you have no experience as a founder on like, are these people for real or not? And I still like, you know, I don't think I'm good enough at hiring that I could have a 95% hit rate in hiring executives. Right. I'm sure it would be way better now than it was back then. Like back then I, you know, I worked with a few competent executives in my entire career and like, I didn't even really, really know what that looked like. Yeah, but now, yeah. how do you how do you pattern match to something you've never experienced, right? Well, like, and it's like, and you know, it's something that happens frequently when you're like a seed stage startup, and you're, you know, and I think we even had some of these conversations, Al, when like, you know, you were early investing, and I was like, hey, you know, I hired this guy to be the VP of X, and this person to be the VP of Y. Like, Give me a big hug, man. Give me a big and, hug. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you kind of went in and talked to some of those guys and, you know, for different reasons. And it was like, awesome. Clearly that person should not be the VP of X. Like they're, you know, they shouldn't even be director level. You don't know what a good VP looks like. And until you have a really great VP that you're just like, 
Oh, that person that I just like dropped into this world and they solved all of the problems automatically. And like, you know, they had to switch out a bunch of the team and they had to change the way everything was run and they show you how things are done. And you're like, ah, that's, you know, it's not really a smart person that I thought was really great. That's not what a VP is necessarily. Um, and then, you know, then you start looking, trying to pattern match for that. And it's still maybe 50-50. Like, it's just so hard. And the, the thing about hiring executives is the best executives, they know exactly what's happening when you're going through an interview loop. They know exactly what you want to hear, and they know exactly how to answer that stuff. And then they have enough, you know, people that you can background check them with that they know will say good things about, you know, the references. And so it's just yeah, hard. Yeah, call his brother. What are you expecting him to say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, but now that like one of the biggest strengths that we have as a company is we've gone through different cycles of different people. Some people that I wish we could have kept, some people that they weren't the right fit for one reason or another. But now I look at my team and I'm like, yeah, this is like, if I could have started with this team, everything would have been a hundred times easier. But I but do, do, you, do you think so? Or was it, well, cause like, like, is that even possible? Well, like, well, like in my, in my mind, I mean, you're, the seed stage route is like you and a bunch of buddies are doing all the roles. And that's where a lot of these guys that are like great at, at helping you succeed, but bad at building an organization to do sales or something. Right. Like, like you pull these folks in and then as the job formalizes, it outgrows them. And then it outgrows. And like, what do they say? Every three years, you sort of cycle the, the C-suite and the startup. And it's like, could, could yeah, these guys like, have been the startup guys or do you, did it have to come to like, did you have to sort of walk this road to get here? I, it might be the latter. Like it, it might be, there's just no way of building that, you, you can't build that team overnight, no matter what. And like, that's what I'm saying with like, when it come, you know, if you have a 90%, you know, awesome executive hire rate, that still means 10% of the time you're missing. And to, and to be clear, when I say that, it's not always executive's fault. It's usually your fault or it's you looked for the wrong thing or you didn't even understand what you were looking for. And so like, it just takes time to build out the right team. And the other thing, you know, looking back is we were growing so insanely fast that it was like you'd hire a person for a role and six months later, they wouldn't be the right fit for that role because so much had changed and so much had grown. So I'm actually, you know, really grateful for like, we kind of, we got out of the spotlight, we got out of the hype cycle, we started building a real business and now I'm like, Yes, this is, you know, we, we're, we're really lucky in that regard. And even, even little stuff like that, I, I don't think, you know, so we had a procurement process that was looser than it should have been because it was like, how do we, you know, buy the software? Like, I don't know, dude, do you need it? Go buy it, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, in, the, in the early days, it was like, you got your engineer negotiating terms on this stuff. And he's like, and we, and we, yeah. And you sign crazy contracts that the other side is like, all right, here's a starting point of negotiation. And then you come back and like, yeah, let's do it. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so, going to Hawaii. 
Yeah, so we've had time to build stronger processes, to build better software, to build better teams. And I think it's a blessing in disguise. Like I saw there was a tweet the other day where someone posted like, you know, okay, imagine there's a red door. If you go through the red door, you can save $10 million. There's a blue door. If you go through the blue door, you can go back 10 years and fix all the mistakes that you made. I'm like, oh, blue door, I would, I would save so much more than $10 million. It's not even funny. But then somebody else pointed out in my response to that, like, but would you know what you know now? And would you have the, like, is the scar tissue that you have now as a result of making those yeah, mistakes? You have to go you? back with the knowledge you have now. No, in this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to roll yeah. all those dice again. Um, no, no. Dude, that's, yeah. that's so funny on the people stuff. I, I remember like some of the, the mismatches that hurt the worst for me, but like I, we had one time where we needed a, um, I, I thought I needed a COO. So we went and recruited a great COO who was actually a good director of fulfillment. Cause what I needed was a director of fulfillment. Right. So we, but we hired him in at the wrong spot. So he was, he was too high up the chain. He was compensated too highly. And once we figured out the, you know, the role he was doing and what he was solving for us was here, but we, then we needed a COO, like there's no way of going around it. Right. And so we, we ended up yeah. having to fire him split ways. And it was like, not his fault. Good guy, good at what he did, but like mismatched. And then all the momentum of a year and a half of the figuring that out, or like we hired a, a head of marketing, what we needed was a, was a director of digital. And, you know, and so then like, she's, she's this lone wolf that can't hire a team and doesn't know, you know, is really, we didn't even interview for hiring a team. We want to know if she was good at running paid ads and stuff. And so then she was our right. head of marketing and, and we we're stuck. And we had, you and know, like, like, why aren't you doing brand stuff and SEO? They're like, I, I don't know how to do that. Like, that's not, I never, I never even implied that I could do any of that. This is all on you. And you're like, yeah, yep. totally. Yeah, because right. well, well, yeah. Yeah, like the first hire into some of that stuff is more about you just figuring out what you actually need. And then you come back in two years and say, oh, okay, now I'm now I'm sort of directionally aligned on this. That yeah, that's that probably some of the stuff that you're least familiar with, right? Like if you're like a, and I see this all the time when they're like, you know, there's like a product driven startup CEO and they get to the point where it's like, okay, you need to go hire a CFO, head of finance, VP of finance. Which level do you need? They have no idea. You, you know, and then it's like, okay, go hire somebody. And they go interview people. And I've sat in on, on a couple interviews just because uh, I was trying to, you know, help somebody out. And they're like, so do you like Excel and stuff? And you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you, can you do the numbers and make sure that, you know, I know how much money we have in the bank? And they're like, do you, who does your accounting? And they're like, <laughs> define accounting. Like, all right. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> that that is the, the hardest thing for a, for a founder CEO is, is you're supposed to hold everybody accountable, but you have no idea what a good marketer is supposed to do. Like, 100%. when then you hire that person and you've sort of, like your hands are tied almost where you're like, are they doing a good job? If somebody else would come in and look at it and take a pot shot real quick, be like, they're working, you know, you get twice as much out of a good CM or CMO if you X, Y, and Z, but like literally everybody there, you're supposed to be good enough to hold the marketer accountable, good enough to hold the finance guy accountable. And really I, like a lot of us are just like product guys. Like we know yeah. what we want in the product and we wish everybody else would do their job real good. <laughs> how yeah, do you how do you get oriented to that like what what resources or people or whatever like how do you 
figure out when you've made one of those mistakes? Yeah, this is going to, there, there are a couple pieces. One is you like just network and you talk with folks that know what they're talking about. Like we, you know, we figured pretty early on that finance and, you know, the way that money moves around and, you know, when do you borrow, when do you sell, you know, have like a whole asset management side of the company effectively. Um, and so we brought in someone as an advisor who's really excellent at that. And we actually have a couple advisors. And so I can go to them and be like, hey, you know, here's this person, here's their, and you know, it can be. Would you like, have your hey, advisors help interview? No. I mean, you could, but most of the best advisors are so freaking busy that they're, they're just like, they're not going to sit there with you for four hours and, you know. How, who, who can you give your problem to where they'll solve it and you don't have to be <laughs> accountable? Yeah, that's, I mean, and then how do you know they're the right person who, you know. So at the end of the day, it becomes like you develop a gut instinct for what's working and what's not. And you've, I mean, you just get enough scar tissue that you've seen it and you understand what good looks like and what bad looks like. And I think the hardest thing for, for me as a founder was like, there were hires that I made that three months in, I'm feeling like something's off here, but I would go to them and be like, Hey, this feels off. And they're the expert in that thing. And so they will, you know, explain to you, no, your expectations are out of line. And what really should be happening is X, Y, Z. And it doesn't sit right with you. But, who, you know, who are you as the tw- you know, 25-year-old kid to go to this 40-year-old, you know, head of whatever and be like, no, 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 listen. But that's what you have to do as a founder. You have to like, and, and I think in retrospect well i i overweighted resumes and especially like resumes at you know company you admire as like you know i worked at uber i worked at yeah totally like oh my gosh you worked at uber you must know how to do hyper growth or you must know how to do x and then you you know, actually, my COO was very early at Uber, so this is a good example. Um, and he'll tell you, like, look, four-fifths of the people that were at Uber when I was there, I would never in a million years hire again. And Uber was growing so fast. It's not like, you know, they were firing people right and left. It's just everybody's, everybody's scrambling trying to, you know, keep everything on the rails. And, you know, there, there are divisions of Uber that, you know, are well-known for having done incredible things and he's still like, yeah, and I still wouldn't hire us, you know, I would hire this guy and this guy out of that department or this girl and this person and nobody else I would touch with a 10,000 foot pole because it was just growing so quickly that if you just got on board and didn't do something incredibly egregious, you were there the whole time and that's on your resume forever. And that's a good. That's a good startup move, man. That's like if you're if you're I in mean, the valley. That's a great. No, there there are there are people in the valley who jump from hot startup. There are people who jump from hot startup to hot startup, provide no value, but then they have a resume that says, "Hey, I led very important initiative at startup A, very important initiative at startup B." And you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is a unicorn hire! I'm going to throw a giant package at them." And by the time you figure out 
a year later that they're not doing anything. They've vested one year of equity and it takes another three months to get them out of the company and they go on to the next one and they've made millions and millions of dollars. Um, and maybe I'm being unfair to, I'm thinking of specific people, obviously, but like that's, <laughs> that's a thing. And, and when you're a darling in the press, I'm sure you get all of the, you know, there's a line out the door of those people who want in. Well, and that's the, yeah, that's the other thing is you had so many people who their greatest desire was to, to put your company name on their resume and investors as well, right? Like there are people who invested in our seed round that turned that into a career because they, you know, went and talked to a VC That's fund. Me. And I mean, about, I'm, I'm rolling fund now on my Lambda. Hey, hey, yeah. I mean, other than the, Massive company you started. That's a feather in the The only thing on my business card is I, Austin took my money very early. <laughs> I, and, I think yeah. the first time I met Al, he was wearing a Lambda School hat, and I had just met you, Austin. I was like, Al, how'd you get that hat? I love Lambda School. It's so, so cool. Bro, you got to check, man. And you, you, were like, and you were like, oh, I invested. I was like, oh, yeah. No, I bought, this guy, I, I this guy knows what's website, up. He's just so like sick. everybody else. It was just my flex. <laughs> No, like in seriousness, you have, you have Fairweather fans and Fairweather employees and like Fairweather customers. And when everything in the, you know, in Silicon Valley land is, Hey, these guys are amazing. People will jump on board. And the first sign of the littlest trouble, they are like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to go find the next, you know, crypto company to go join. And, And they do. Right. It, it's so hard to say I would have done these things differently in retrospect because I, I know that now with the knowledge I have, but with the knowledge I had then, I you're just flying blind through so much of starting a company, and there's I don't think there's any way around it. It's funny too, man. I think I think that like most of the time, like you're talking about gut feeling with some of these guys, right? And and most of the time, well, I can't think of a single example where like I knew they were the wrong fit, and then I waited. For whatever milestone I had in my head, and I but was three months wait, later, wait. they completely or, turned around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you'll go like you'll go like a year and a half, and now they solve a problem because they're not hurting the organization, but everybody's figured out how to work around them, and uh, and then like you know, by the time you finally do it and and sort of pull the thorn out, like you knew it was the right thing a year and a half ago, but it took you all this time to get to the point of doing it. My my one regret. The, or, well, the probably the most common regret that uh, that I think I have as a as a business leader, but then the CEOs that I work with, the most common regret is like I just waited too long, right? One hundred percent. And people tell you that, and like you're like, yeah, everybody says you know you wait too long, and you know the number of times that like I've gone to lunch or dinner with another founder, and it's like, what's on your mind? Like, oh, I just have this person in this role and I'm trying to figure out how to make it work and you're like I already know how this is like the fact that you're coming to dinner and the thing that is stressing you out the most is this individual person and you've been thinking about this for weeks and you've been unable to solve it and you're like you know I you probably want to make a change in that role like yeah but you know they're and it's like and, they and you go see them two to, years later, and they're like, yeah, I finally, like, oh, I finally made life. the change, and I don't know why I waited so long. But you, you kind of, I don't know, you have to go through it a few times to realize that and we've had a few examples more recently, not at the executive level, where 
like, I don't know how much of this I should be talking about, but where it's like, okay, this is so clearly not working. And, you know, people around them are like, all right, let's, you know, create a plan and, you know, do six months and see if they improve. And it's like, does anybody in this room honestly feel like we're going to look back six months from now and be like, oh, wow, that was great. Like, it's, it, you know, it's our fault for recruiting the wrong person and let's, you know, be graceful and help the person find the next role. Well, it's hard because there's a... There's a cultural thing around like you, you want to give people a real chance. You want to make sure that they, uh, you know, that like you're, you're not expecting them to knock it out of the park until they know the organization. And there's a few months in stuff. And there's, there's all that stuff, which as a young founder, you're just like getting impressed on you from movies or like other people's experience. Like, like you're like, wait, can, we can't fire him yet. What, what, when's the right time? What's what? What are we learning around when, it? Like too, right? Like uh, right. And you're you go to the HR person that you know, and they're like, okay, to be buttoned up, you need to you know put them on a formal improvement plan, and then give them at least three months to do this, and then you need to have a formal warning, and then it's like, yeah, and you you learn that a lot of advice is fake along the way. Wait, what, what does that mean? A lot of it. Yeah. I like bring that, up, bring that actually, up the fake that sounds, advice. That sounds very real, right? Like, I think that checks out in my litmus test as I'm thinking about, about the, the amount of people that are willing to help, but the help is like very misguided where I'm like that. I didn't know that was terrible advice. Why did you say that? But like, what, what, what's that? Yeah. Name? What are, what are examples that I feel comfortable sharing? <laughs> you, don't, you don't, you don't have to share any. No, it's just like, if you were to, so th- this is one of my, one of the jokes that I have with a uh, couple of the, you know, C-level folks at Bloomtech. Like, if you were to ask Twitter what to do about this situation, what would Twitter say? Okay, let's do the opposite of yeah. whatever that thing is, you know? Um, and so often just that there's advice that just sounds really good and it just... And, you know, if you were to ask somebody who had no idea what they were talking about, that's what they would say. But the reality is, like, that's just going to lead you down a bad path. And so I, I can't, can't think of any examples, but, like, you also have to build your, like, your ability to discern between good advice and advice that feels good. And there's a difference, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like how, you know, every, every uh, weight loss thing is like lose weight with this one great trick, eat a banana and spit on your head. And it's like, nobody (laughs) ever says lose weight with this one trick of exercise and diet. You know, it's like, we're always looking for the shortcut or that easy, that easy roundabout. And so like the charlatans are so attractive to us, especially as we're like, dying a slow death you want somebody that says like oh hire me the recruiter i'll find the perfect guy and he'll solve all your problems you say amazing i just yeah. throw money at you and you make the problem go away let's go yeah, I mean, yeah the, the other thing that's that i have made the mistake of several times and you know I, I've, I've talked a little bit in the past about how like Running a company is a really good way to see like all of your personal flaws reflected in this giant organization <laughs> that's just mirroring, like not intentionally, but it will have all the same flaws that, that you do. And so there are a couple of flaws that we have ha- 
a couple of mistakes that we made consistently was one, we were looking for some crazy creative solution that would just fix this problem in the next month because we don't have, you know, a year to like to sit down and you know, like, so one example when we were like, all right, there are a handful of folks who aren't getting hired and they're not responding to our career coaches. And it's just like, you know, what can we do? And we figured out that if we basically gave them jobs that they would, you know, show up and do those jobs and people would be really happy. And so, you know, I talked with the career coaches about what we need to do and they're like, no, we need to just going back to fundamentals. We need to build these things into the school. So we make sure they have, you know, you don't get through this part of the school without having a great, portfolio project and your resume in shape and your LinkedIn in shape. And then we need to be monitoring where they're applying and how they're applying and we can make that easier. And, you know, so that's going to take us a month and a half to get all those processes in place. And then we need the tooling so that we can monitor them applying to jobs and we can adjust. And, you know, that all has to be like, it's best when people apply to jobs, if they send a customized email and people just, aren't doing that and we talk to them and it's because they don't really know what to say. So we can build tooling that helps them do that and automate that. And that's another three months. I was like, that's you know, okay. We're talking about six months here before. Impossible. Uh, yeah. It's like, it may, may as well be forever away. And so it's like, how can we solve this tomorrow? Oh, well, what if we just, you know, we hired a giant sales team. They went out and they found jobs for everybody and we covered the first, month's salary and we could get people into those jobs um and we can brute force that right now and it started working um and it was you know breaking even and then while i'm off over here like focused on this like this brute force solution all the other people are like behind the scenes going back like okay we're gonna go back and like fix the fundamental (laughs) stuff while austin's distracted with this crazy idea and pretty soon the fundamental stuff was working so well that all the crazy stuff was just unnecessary and expensive and like wasn't actually it. it so I, I think we overcomplicate, we overcomplicated things oftentimes where, you know, if you were to ask somebody, what do you think we need to do in order to have X result? They'd be like, well, the first three things I would do would be X, Y, Z. Like, yeah, obviously. But what if we <laughs> don't don't give me the Sunday school answers? What if we yeah? What if we find a way to go above and beyond and do something crazy and creative that no one's ever you know? And you do that, and it it works sometimes, but oftentimes it's simplest just to do the super obvious, unsexy stuff that gets you where like, you need to go. I feel like most of the time, uh, all the random fun ideas that that we concoct to like save time. And so, like at the end, you say, all right, well, it's our, I guess it's been a year and a half. So let's just do three months and we'll get this thing right and we can be done. Right. But like, like the, the amount of time it takes to get it right never changes. But we'll, uh, I'm happy to do 10 ideas for a month at a time that all fail because I'm trying to fix it immediately. Piss yeah. away 10 months and then be like, oh, okay, now I can be patient. We'll just get it done. Yeah. The patience part is really hard, especially as a founder, right? Like you're, you're built. Your companies are successful in part because you are impatient. Because, you're, like, another kind of 
lesson I've learned is like, and I don't know if the topic of what I want to talk about is what, what lessons did Austin learn along the way? But <laughs> like, and I, then I completely lost my train of thought. Um, patience. We were talking about patience. Yeah, I guess it's less about patience and more about like, just do the really simple, unsexy things really, really well. And like, oh, so, so the, the other thought I had was like, there, there is like this world of like corporate BS about how companies have to run. And it always, you know, it's managers who aren't builders who want to have a ton of meetings and they want to you know, over plan everything and you can get to a point where doing the simple things takes 10 times as long because you have to plan it. And then you have to, you know, do a pump up all hands where everybody gets excited about it. And then you have to distribute the work. If you can eliminate all of that stuff and focus as much time, effort and energy as possible on doing the simple things that everybody knows need to happen you get 10 times further, 10 times faster anyways. And it, it's, it's off. It's surprising. Is that just like doing the right thing with disregard to process? Is that sort of what, what you get at? And there's some of that, that there's, so there, there's two things here. One is, especially at the highest levels of a company, when you hire somebody, they want to do something that's new and exciting and stimulating as opposed to like, you know, there's a time when we went to our marketing team. It's like, all right, what, you know, what would be really cool? And it's like, all right, we need, you know, if we use AI and like deep fakes, you can do this crazy stuff and you can spin that into video ads, you can make a thousand versions of it. It's like, all right, well, what are we solving for? Yeah, we'd like to, you know, see more, applications coming in. Okay. Let me ask another question. What would be the easiest possible way to with <laughs> surety know that applications are coming in? Oh, well, we have a lot of links coming to our website, but we don't have content on like a lot of the stuff that people are searching for. So we could write like 10 blog posts. Like, okay. <laughs> what we're, what we're trying to do is this, you know, sexy, dream intellectually killer. stimulating. Oh, just a dream killer. Yeah. I mean, a- anyway, <laughs> just like the it, there's just a lot of incentive to go beyond the mark not even incentive but like desire to do things that are new and exciting and uncertain um, that can be helpful at times but also you know like if you're to and watching Elon take over Twitter was an interesting example of this where it's like, what could Twitter do? And there are a million crazy, crazy ideas. And from talking to folks who are on the inside, the stuff that actually is moving the needle for Twitter is like, hey, what if we like made stuff load a little faster? What if we like added this really simple feature that everybody's been asking for? Not like, well, we should turn it into this crazy new platform. Make the ads a little bit contextual. You're right. And views. <laughs> what if we- views to posts, yeah. Yeah, what if we, like, use, yeah, if you talk to, I don't know if I've ever talked to anybody who has run a successful Twitter ad, and that's the entirety of your business. So maybe, yeah, it's one place to look. Um, 
And yeah, so it, I, all that is to say, I think it's really easy to look beyond the mark and to overshoot what actually needs to happen. And one of my one of the other things that I've learned that aids in that is it's really for easy for folks at like the highest levels of the company called director, executive, VP, like that kind of thing to be completely out of touch with what is actually happening and, you know, looking at data to try to figure it out. The number of times that we've been like, all right, uh, it seems like from the data X and Y and Z is happening. What if we run an A-B test so that we can, you know, do this over here and do that over there. And then six weeks from now, we'll have results that are not quite statistically significant, um, but it'll be interesting. Like, yeah, that's really compelling. What, what's the end that we're talking about here? It's like, well, so far it's like 50. Fast forward, okay, we what, have the data now. What decision have we made? Any? Yeah, what, or it's like, what if we just slack those 50 people and ask them, like, you know, what about X? And then you do that in 30 seconds and you have all the answers. And there's also like a little bit of a, like, we need to be very data-driven and the right way to do statistically significant data-driven experiments is to, you know, let's create this experiment. And the number of times that we've taught, you know, you, I often find that you're like looking at some set of data and there's like some anomaly in the data. You're like, oh, that's interesting. What could we tweak to see how that anomaly changes over time? And then you're like, okay, well, how many people is this? And the N is really small. And can we just talk to those people and figure it out instantly? Oftentimes you can. Um, I mean, so, yeah, there's just a tendency to overcomplicate stuff. I thought that was a good uh, tweet you had. It's like, if you already know something, you don't need to wait for the data to prove it. Yeah. Like, if you, like, yeah. you're talking to your users and they're all telling you, hey, this, and you're like, all right, let's design an experiment to see if they're right. Like, or you can just do it. Act, yeah. yeah. I mean, is, is there a profile behind that? Is that like you hire a bunch of former consultants who are just really like, bias towards that kind of operating mode? No, I think it like Yeah. I think it's just a, tweeting. Or, or a are they mental just like, <laughs> model or people just like protecting their judgment Valley, in their career. Where it's like well once you get beyond a certain level of scale where it's impossible to 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 have all of your insight from asking everybody everything, um you kind of just get caught in this mode where the way we learn things is by looking at the data mm -hmm. and you forget that oftentimes it's far like data is one way to to get understanding and to test things um, but you forget that the brute force simple method of just talking to the people who are involved generally will tell you what you need to I've also, and, I've also found yeah. there's a really strong muscle in just like having a good idea, right? Like, like, like in my company, I've worked in here 15 years. Right. And I'm like, uh, guys, this, this is going to blow. Like no one's going to care about this. We did a, We did a referral program where it was like $20 to get, you know, and tell 10 of your friends. And I was like, I promise you not a single grandma has been waiting for the day that we held a $20 bill in front of her and said, now will you tell your friends? I was like, this is, this is a terrible idea. And like we spent, you know, 35 grand on the ambassador program and signed up for the thing. And like, nobody cares. And it was like, guys, <laughs> we, we know, we know these people enough that we can make the guess. And 
like a marketing, a marketing program where you like, like, yeah, these guys will try and dive into the data so heavily that, uh, that they can't make, like, they can't come up with their own idea. It ends up being like, we're just following whatever the user is. It's like, I'm a big fan of like the human driven product development, but that's letting the user break the tie. You got to come up with your own stuff that you're trying to get them to follow. And then you're watching what they, what they're interested in. But this, like the data is the Holy grail, I think has, uh, has had, had a lot of a heyday for a lot of a lot of people coming up the ranks. They're just like, no. Yeah, I think it's one thing if you're like, hey, we're Amazon and we can throw an experiment on the homepage and 30 seconds later we have statistically significant X. It's another thing if it's like, all right, you know, how do we get something that's meaningful out of these 25 people? You just go talk to the 25 well, people. Well, even yeah. if you have statistically significant stuff, the thing I find a lot is like, fast forward to the end of this experiment. Like we have the results and the blue button worked real good. Do we just turn all the buttons blue? Like, what are you trying to answer right now? Like, uh, I don't know. That's, yeah. that's a great question. We're, we're just excited to run some tests. Well, another thing that's interesting is the, like, getting people to actually use the product, right? Like <laughs> there are times when um, people are like, all right, our, you know, retention rate in this particular unit has dipped three points. Did we change something in the assessments? Like what, you know, where are people failing in this giant funnel? What's happening? And then I'm like, come on, just like go through it. Like go look at the curriculum, go look at it and, and see what you find. And it's like, oh yeah, this was super, this, this entire thing was so confusing the way we worded it. And it's like, all right, we could have, yeah, we could have, you know, backed into that by looking at retention data or we could have just tried it and you know that is that's so hard to get people out of their dashboards and into the product i feel like man of just like all right you're a brand new user where do where yeah. does your brain tell you to click what what do you want to do now it's i'm like, guilty of that as well right like we're we've all been guilty of it where it's like you know i wake up in the morning and i check dashboards how often do I wake up in the morning and try the product and see, you know, what feels off? Not as often as it probably should be, you know? Has that changed? Like, I mean, I feel like a lot of the, this conversation has been kind of like the, the startup to tech transition of like finding more patients and doing the fundamentals and dealing more with execs. Like, did you, how different is that from the early days of just like following intuition executing against the vision, not, you know, not worried about the data because you just feel like you have a strong opinion about how the world should work. So, yeah, my opinion on this has become pretty strong where I think the best companies are those that retain that founder spirit of, I'm just going to go figure it out and do what needs to be done. And where you start to lose touch, like, for lack of a better way to describe it, like anything that feels corporate to you as a founder should be a red flag. And there's a lot of like, or overly corporate, I don't know. There's a lot of, and you get to the point where it's like, well, we're at this stage, you have to do X, Y, Z, because uh, that's the way big companies operate. Oftentimes I've found that that's the wrong move. I mean, there's stuff like, hey, let's normalize a uh, comp that makes a lot of sense, right? But like that doesn't feel corporate. That just feels not dumb. The, <laughs> it just makes HR's life easier. Yeah. Or But when it's like, hey, we need to, you know, 
define this really rigid decision-making process and make sure that before anybody makes a decision, they fill out this form and they file it in this way so that anybody in the company can go and look back and like, that feels a little over the top for me. And then you try it and everything just grinds to a halt because everyone's waiting for approval from everybody to do anything. You're like, okay, that, that was actually done. Well, it's, it's sort of cyclical. Like if you, if you wanted to leave the company right now, right? The person that comes in is not you. It's going to be the stabilizing hand. It's going to be the guy that like, isn't going to make any erratic moves and, and everything's a little more formal. We're going to slow way down, but the risk goes down. And then yeah. when that needs to be innovated, right? The board says, this sucks. We're like, we need higher growth. We're not doing enough. The guy they bring in is a you, right? They'll bring a you in that breaks all that. And it's like, pull all this out and we're going in there. And then while that guy is there or that girl is there, they are, they are, you know, the company culture sort of follows them. But if they ever want to leave, you can't replace a you with another you that would destroy everything, right? Yeah, but I think there's also like, there's just a fundamental, uh, like I, I mentioned, that I didn't finish my thought, but I, I was reading a book by the founder of Trader Joe's, and I tweeted about this earlier today, but he would, whenever they hired an executive, he would force every executive to spend a year on the storeroom floor, like as a cashier or as a manager, like, at, you know, and they would have their, you know, post-MBA salary or whatever, but it, and it feels a little extreme, but... I think if you can afford that, the like, you know, having a CFO who's actually been walking the floors of the store for a year would have so much more knowledge than, you know, okay, CFO, come here, come look at this, you know, income statement and tell me what you think we need to change. Um, I mean, epic filter for ego too. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Someone's like, I would never like, all right. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the best. Do you That's imagine being a grocery, st- a grocery store? Like, like if I was going to go take the CFO job at a grocery store, like a pizza chain, they're like, now you got to make pizzas for a year before you got to do this. I'd be like, All right, no, man, I'm, I'm going to go <laughs> to the next is, grocery store over. Is this Jiro Jiro <laughs> Sushi? Like, let's go. <laughs> to be fair, a year, a year feels like a long time to me. Um, yeah. Give me three know, months. I'll do a month. away with three months or six months. But, <laughs> um, but you know, that's actually another like rule that I've kind of instituted is we call it player coaches only. Like there's nobody at the company who just manages and is unwilling to like touch the actual product or the, like the, the product of whatever that team is. Right. Like, and you know, maybe that's something that breaks down at a certain level. I don't know, but like, and it's not even that you like your day to day should be doing the thing, but if you're not even willing to do the thing and you're like, no, 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 listen, my job is ordering people around who do the work. And then I sit back <laughs> here and make sure they're all doing a good job. That's as red of a flag as I've ever seen. At Which that gets said, that gets said in such sneaky ways. You're like, wait, wait, did I hear that right? You said, yeah. you know, like, well, the- I mean, and when I say that today, people are like, whoa, but you can't expect an engineering manager to like, you know, spend all day coding. Like, look, I, I hear you, right? But like, if an engineering manager isn't like pulling up, you know, your code and looking at it and commenting on it and like, if they, if they don't understand the code that you're writing, they're fundamentally not doing the job. If, if all they're doing is managing like 
how happy is the product team and how are my, how are this person's peers rating them? Like that's, it's not good management, you know? So dude, um, shifting gears a little bit, I guess, like what's, what's, what's fun. What's fun out there for you right now? Like you've always been a little bit of a futurist as you've stared into the, uh, into the ether. And like, we sort of jam on the same stuff. I feel like we're, we're like, just gets excited. It's been funny watching the Elon saga, man. I'm, I'm like, I keep meaning to pick up the phone and just be like, what, what do you think is happening? <laughs> oh, that's just free entertainment. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. But like, yeah. but like what's out there that's amusing you and interesting you and being fun right now. I, I want to hear your case for why SpaceX will be the biggest company of all time. I know that's a thing that you went off on before and I'm curious. Yeah. About that. I mean, that, that one's, it's, Pretty straightforward. Is this a recent actually. tweet, or is that like, from, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. you gotta pay more attention um, to Austin's Twitter, man. You're 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 missing tweets. <laughs> I try so hard. You gotta get those Al, push how notifications. Dare you, first of all, I'm on the for you page, not the following, and it's just took all it's my true. Austin you away. Don't know anymore, you know? Uh, the algorithm, you gotta. I, yeah, do well, you guys remember when Zuck did that when he introduced the news feed and people like lost their mind and they were like, "You've ruined it." You peeping oh, toms, like you. There's a riot about every Facebook product, product change for a decade. Yeah. Well, some some of our employees were there on the product team at the time that that was no, happening. Oh wow! And like, wait, at Twitter or at Facebook? At Facebook, when they changed from the wall to the news yeah. feed, um, and like they, I mean, the people that I know really well were like. I mean, they couldn't be bigger Zuck fans if, even though now they're like, this VR thing seems dumb. Um, but the at the time, they're like, all of the users were like riot. I mean, there are millions of people joining Facebook groups or pages. Yeah, or like liking, turn it back. You know, whatever, yeah. whatever the equivalent was at the time, they were like, bring back, you know, you suck, Facebook. We're, we're going to leave. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but we would sit there and we would look at the data and like we would a B test and everything was like all the metrics were 10 X with the newsfeed. And then we'd go in and we'd talk to people and like, why do you not like the wall? And like, I don't know. I just kind of like, like this page because everybody else was doing it. And like, okay, well tell me what you like miss about the wall. Like, well, I miss that you could like, you know, leave messages on other people's profiles. And like, well, what if you could still do that? Like, is it, do you really not like the news? Anyway, so they dug in a little bit deeper and like the popular narrative was just completely not what Facebook was seeing at all. And so they're like, no, we're staying the course. And, you know, it seems, seems obvious now that the news feed would like, I mean, that was very core to the business. <laughs> now, if you're like, go back and get rid of the news feed, you're left with like right-hand sidebar ads. Um, not to mention like, when you go mobile, like how do you monetize? You know, it's a completely revolutionary thing. Um, but the the folks that I know will refer to that as like the moment where they saw Zuck like truly become a leader and be like, no, everything in my intuition says the newsfeed is better. All of the data says the newsfeed is better. Ninety percent of the user interviews are saying that the newsfeed is better. So I don't care who's joining what Facebook groups. We're going all in on this path. It's kind of Wait, cool. Do you, do you, cause so like I bought a, I bought a new Oculus uh, around Christmas when I saw the, uh, when I saw the, 
what, what's it called the codec avatar that Facebook's working on. Like the, have you seen that one? The very realistic. No, I haven't, I haven't touched it. I think you brought one to my house. Did you bring one to my house like three years ago? Do you remember that? In San Francisco, the only time you visited my house. I think I might have actually, dude. But, yeah. but like, I think the killer app. Well, one like. I put, I bought it unboxed. It's like $2,000. I bought the pro ultra super edition and I put it on and like, it is the crappiest onboarding experience of all time. Like I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with it. And you're like, you can pretend to shoot a bow, but, <laughs> but dude, like if I could put that on and it, it, like zoom would be the killer app for me, right? Like zoom where, where the ultra realistic avatars where all three of us are sitting in a room instead of me staring at a dumb flat screen of you guys would be a thousand times cooler. I'm like, I would take every meeting in friggin' VR. As soon That's as such like, a 35 year old white guy thing to say. Like, here we are on this. The ultimate, you know, you can play games on it, you can box with it, but if you could like have meetings with this thing, man. Well, well, Zoom is, Zoom is plenty big, and it's ba- it's built around like a bunch of people staring at each other on a screen. It's like, man, let me let me put let me actually spend my day in a room where I feel like I'm pretend interacting with people instead of just like staring at it and putting it down. I'm like, th- th- it would murder it. But you could just punch people during board meetings. Like, <laughs> no consequences. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm telling you, man. Like this Claw is, this is the- bow and arrow. Like, all right, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, dude, the, the the stuff that like makes no sense to me is the goofy pretend avatar. Like we're all block shapes walking around with hands petting each other, and it's like I don't I don't get what you're trying to do here. But man, let me let me do where some real business in here. We're like we're we are as though we are in the same room. This feels magic if if it ever gets there. But interesting. Yeah, I don't think I I don't think I've tried it other than I mean that was what, three, four years ago at least? Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, funny because I'm like, oh, it was like two years ago, but that's completely ignoring like the two years of COVID. I just like, those disappear in, in my mental timelines. The, the footnote was a while 2020, ago, yeah. yeah. Is AI changing anything for Lambda? Like, has it changed the, the kind of like educational approach? Our curriculum development is 10 times faster now, literally. You said um, GPT right at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, you have to like, so chat GPT is like very powerful if you are an expert at something and you need something to do the grunt work because it does mislead sometimes, right? Like it will straight up give you very confidently the wrong answers or something that doesn't work. Um, but for our, for our instructional design team, they, and like this, this wasn't something that we had planned on at all. It was just like, hey, you know how, you know, writing this course and, you know, develop, and we have like very rigorous, very intense instructional design and curriculum development processes. It basically moves stuff from like six months to six weeks kind of thing. It is magic so to just, never stare at like a blank document and be like, chapter one. Yeah, or like, you, know, it's just, you always have something to work off of. I mean, I was, I was playing with it with our uh, head of instructional design, like right as it came out. And I was like, all right, let's see what this, you know, we're just on a Zoom. Let's see what this thing can do. And, you know, so like, d- describe to me what the if word does in JavaScript and give me 300 words. And it's been a pretty good text for that. I'm like, okay, that's compelling. And then the instructional design guy's like, I don't care about that. I can write that in 30 seconds. Like, that's just, you know, me thinking into the keyboard. It's like, all right. 
How about this? Chat GPT, give me 20 example solutions of when I would use the if keyword in a programming challenge and the corresponding solutions with uh, descriptions of why the code would work. And it spits that out. And then they're like, okay, now we're talking. Because <laughs> I would be sitting there being like, all right, let's create a loaf of bread. And then we're going to say, you know, if there's a, if the loaf of bread has more than five slices, you know, yeah, like, if yeah. healed, just, then throw away. Yeah. It's just painful. But so, so stuff like that. And it, it, it checks code samples really fast as it writes them. And they, you know, they've, they spent 10 times as much time doing it as I have. Like that was my, I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. See if that is interesting at some point. And then they've like perfected their methods of like, you know, how, how they use it. But yeah, it got to the point where it was like, Hey, chat GPT is down. We're going to be offline for a couple hours. We're just going to go, go to lunch. I'm not, <laughs> not going to sit here without chat GPT. So I'm pretty, pretty bullish on that. And that's, you know, just the first simple application of it. But, yeah. um, are you, have you seen any companies that are like doing cool stuff with it? Yeah. It, it's hard because right now, there are a bunch of companies that are like, hey, we are going to do AI for X. You're like, oh, awesome. Like, what is the, what are you doing? And you basically figure out they're sending random prompts to ChatGPT and returning it. Like, they're, they're basically a very specific user interface for ChatGPT, which can be cool. Like, you know, they're the, like, text creation companies like Jarvis, whatever. Like, hey, write a blog post that's SEO, you know, uses these keywords and it will do that well. And, you know, basically all that entire company is, is a user interface and they have toyed with the prompts for ChatGPT to know exactly what prompt you have to give it to get the right thing instead of you trying to figure it out on your own. Uh, I've invested in a couple of AI companies. One, um, they do like, software that overlays your webcam and can turn, you know, kind of like Snapchat filters, but anything. Um, or they can take full on like text and then, you know, take an image of your face and then turn it into like somebody reading the text, basically like on demand, deep fake type stuff. Um, so it's really interesting. Uh, but it's, it's all, it's all really early. And really difficult to tell who's going to win. Outside of like, I'm sure OpenAI will do great, right? They're not gonna. They have a pretty compelling lead, and then stable diffusion stuff is really compelling. Um, but but yeah, Dude, it's such a it's such a cool time to like be watching all this stuff happen around us. We like this is this is like fun tech again. Like we get another another window of like really fun, cool stuff being done. Yeah, I don't think there's anything that's felt quite this way since, like, the iPhone, which it's like, okay, here's this completely new world, and it changes these seven things, but it doesn't change these two things. So what can we build? And, you know, and then from a founder's perspective, how can I build, you know, a sustainable competitive advantage with this? Like, you know, if you're that, – that's the thing that I'm held up on with a lot of AI companies is, like, yeah, you can build a quick user interface to plug something into chat GPT. But if there's not anything more than that, like anybody can clone you in 30 seconds. There's 
Yeah, so we'll see. But you can imagine it widening a lot of like existing moats. I think, right? Like, yeah. like uh, Bloomtech could transition over the next ten years from class based to like basically tutors, and the the thing that makes up the gap is is AI that is just like clever enough to know exactly what each person needs to hear or see at each given step. Yeah, and a couple things that are kind of like so ChatGPT is trained against the internet, basically. But there's some people that are trying to tweak it to like, okay, ingest my knowledge base of my company and then you can be, you know, do a customer service thing. Um, but it's hard, like it, it can't do that without additional training. So, you, you know, you can, they're like force feeding it a bunch of prompts so that it learns a bunch of stuff and then um, yeah. trying to use that. Um, but, but yeah, for us, you know, it's actually a little bit scary as a as a tutor, so to speak, because it very confidently gives you answers that are right ninety percent of the time. But if you don't have somebody to point out the ten percent that are wrong, like you can send somebody down a totally incorrect path, and that's worse than no tutor. In some yeah, you, ways. you teach me the wrong algebra, you've ruined my math foundation, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you like ingrained that and drilled that. There, there are folks who are building really, really good, not through ChatGPT, but uh, math tutors that are like, you know, they focus just on training their model to be the best math, one-on-one -on -one math tutor in the world. That I think could like, that I buy. I'm invested in a company, but I will wait for them. I think it's not announced yet. And, but yeah, for us, the biggest one right now is curriculum development, we could, we could build a new course that would have cost us a million dollars for 50 K now. So amazing. Dude, what is the, like, what's the, what's the bottleneck to the next big moment of growth for you guys? What's, um, so we've been, we figured out. Yeah. So we, for a long time had pretty insane growth and a lot of, future revenue that was coming later, but we needed VC to, you know, plug that gap. And it's one of those things where the faster you grow, the, you know, you're not getting off that treadmill anytime soon because then you raise more money, you grow even more, and then there's more revenue coming in, but it's still lagging behind your expenses. So we spent the past couple of years on trying to correct that to where, and it's, it takes a lot of like, are, are you guys going for profitability now? Is that what it, I don't know if I can say we're cash flow positive yet, but we're probably days, not weeks away. Days, uh, dude, that's a congrats. huge win. That's great. Yeah. And so there's, and that's, yeah, for, for school like ours, where people aren't paying anything up front, it's the cash flow gap problem. And I think we've solved it now at a minimum. We're, you know, we'll be right on the cusp of profitability and not, or not like, well, from a gap standpoint, we'll be profitable, but like, will we be cash flow positive day to day? And, and really the, the big thing that we've been trying to get to for years is where if we enroll a marginal student, we bring in instant marginal profit, not, you know, money that comes six months later. Um, and we've done that. So we have we basically, you know, to use VC metrics, we have uh, 
the right LTV and the right payback period, which is the most difficult part of the business we're in. It takes a really, really long time to get there. So um, at that point, do you just a thousand X the number of students each month? Like, is that the move? Within reason and with asterisks, yes. Yeah. You had me on the reason and with be, asterisks. You, you can only, you can only. That's what my yeah. wife said when I said, will you marry me? <laughs> Within reason and with asterisks, yes. I mean, the short version is, yes, we're working on thousand xing the size of the school, but we have to do that while sustaining outcomes and while keeping CAC low. But like, there's, and, no, there's, no, there's nothing that's like, we got to fix that and then we can go and, and man, that's. That's such awesome. a fun. Well, just like dude, it was I, hard, dude. <laughs> you and I talking oh, through the years, man. It's like if I if my job could just be to go get students to come go through this amazing program, like it would be the easiest job in the world. Like that's all I want to do. And no, I got to build the whole business to do all the stuff along the way. Yeah, no, we're, we're finally back to where it's like actually, what one? So you know, not to go too into the weeds, but the biggest problems you have are you know. The entire point of the school is you don't pay anything up front. So the revenue is by definition delayed and you have to gather enough data that you can underwrite something that can fast forward the cash. So we checked that box and the, the traditional, like the way we built because we're growing so fast was everything was manual and kind of there's an example I'd like to share is there's a time when we would have humans taking attendance of everybody just to know who was there and who wasn't because Zoom's API was broken and Slack's API was broken and like, you know, stuff didn't work very well. We didn't have enough of a product to easily determine who was there at the right time. Um, and we would spend like $20,000 a week just taking attendance. Oh my gosh. Um, so, and there, there are a million little examples like that where you just have to productize the stuff that computers are really good at and get, stabilize the stuff that's really fragile and like that took years there's just no you can't do that overnight no matter what you try to do so yeah we're we're there now to where we can simply grow and it everything everything should work dude i i feel like you also like you correct me if i'm wrong but like you've You've kind of gone through a shift where, where well, because in the beginning, in the beginning of any business, it like consumes every waking moment, right? Are, are Do you find yourself sort of valuing some balance? Are you finding like fun things to do that aren't work or like, have, have you gone on that sort of midlife crisis of a company journey where you're like, all right, if I'm doing this for longer than two years, like I'm going to, I need to build a life around this. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm coming up on six years now. Um, so it's been a minute. But there's a time when, like, actually my, I think it was post our Series B, so it had been like 2018, 2019, when, I mean, I had probably gained 60 or 70 pounds. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating very well. I did not look healthy, and I was just working all the time. Didn't see my kids at all. And actually, you know, credit to, to them, but a couple of our board members, I guess it was the entire board other than me and my co-founder at the time, kind of sat me down and they're like, hey, first things first, we see you tweeting at 3 a.m. Um, you need to sleep more. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I have, a, like, I have kids that are awake at that time. Like, so I'm, you know, that's when I'm tweeting. Like, I, I can't really avoid that. 
And they were like, okay, we'll get a nanny, you know, whatever you need to do to like get some sleep. And we didn't end up getting a nanny. We just finally sleep trained our kids. But, <laughs> um, and, you know, get a personal trainer if you have to like, you know, if the company has to pay for it, well, you know, whatever it takes to get you healthy, we will do that. Um, which, you know, first was generous and I respect their willingness to call that out because it would have been really easy for them to be like, yeah, this founder's health is going to hell, but like, that's just what it is. Um, so I started like, I, since then I've lost probably 65 pounds. I'm pretty healthy. I work out pretty regularly. And recently I started, uh, you know, possibly because of living in Southern Utah playing golf which is like, it's hard not to play it's golf. A golf in mecca, yeah. <laughs> um, but like I started out and it was just like, you know, fun thing to do with my wife on date night. And then I went out like once on my own at like, you can get like a 5am tea time in summer. So I went out like 6am and just played for an hour and you're just like walking around hitting a ball and thinking. And it was like the first time when my like, in years when my mind just like slowed down and I was just like, you know, sounds, what I'm reading. That yeah, sounds so like magic. It was pretty therapeutic. So I've, I've kept doing that to the extent that I can. Although in winter you can't, you know, you can do it like once a week because the times are more difficult, et cetera, et cetera. But that's been, well, that's been good. And other than that, just still working a lot. And, and you found time to run the, so run a fund on the side too. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. The My wife is very pleased for me to have something that wasn't just working all the time. Uh, so <laughs> Dude, it's still one of my favorite stories how all that came together, man. It's the best. The uh, well, and and I feel like it kind of it supports each, right? Like the more companies that that you're invested in, the more places p- these guys can land at a lambda. You're just creating job channels. That's all. Really, lambda should be paying you <laughs> to run a fund. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it started like that was, you know, not without going too deep into the background of that. That was like, I was working all the time and I would meet people just randomly. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to invest in this company because it's just the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I would write like a thousand dollars. Like, we didn't have any savings. We didn't, you know, I was still on founder salary. So investing like a thousand dollars at a time into these like, you know, seed stage companies. And my wife's like, what the hell? That's all the money we have. And these companies are like, this isn't even worth me cashing the check. So basically nothing's changed. I don't like, I don't do really anything that I wouldn't do just organically and naturally. Like I just naturally come across companies. I even, I hired a guy to do all of the back office stuff. So even like just, putting the stuff into AngelList and managing the wire that goes out because AngelList is automated 90% of it. I hired somebody to do the other 10%. That's great. Um, So it's, yeah, it's just like, you know, I come across cool companies and founders that I respect and admire and I can put a zero behind my checks now, a couple zeros behind the thousand dollar checks that I would write. No, nothing's changed. It's great. Awesome. Dude, I uh, I remember in the early days of of my investing, my my uh, my approach was I'm going to write these 10k checks into these small startups, and if I need to go and recruit 
an engineer for, for the quilt company. It was going to cost me 50, 60 grand anyway. And so I'll stroke a 10 K check into this stuff. And, uh, and then I'm the first guy to know if their company goes bust and I'd be like, Hey guys, you need a place to land. It's no big deal. I'm like, really, this is just a recruiting fee that I'm paying in. And on the upside, it works out on the downside. Uh, I can offer them jobs. This works out for me. It's like my justification. Yeah, like companies that I've invested in, probably hundred plus engineers at those companies. So it's yeah, yeah. yeah it's kind of a whole ecosystem that works out pretty well. You're playing 3D chess, man. It's amazing. Not intentionally. <laughs> People ask me that about all the time. I'm like, how did you think about building a Twitter strategy such that you would have enough followers that it would be? And like, uh, I had a really bad habit of tweeting, and then it became. An advantage over time. Yeah. Pretty cool. Now, the funniest was in the early days where they're like, what What are you guys doing for, uh, I remember asking, I was talking to your whole team and I was like, what do you guys do when you, uh, you know, to get more applicants? They're like, Austin just tweets. That was, the, that was your whole strategy in the beginning. Austin will tweet a thing and then like a, a hundred more applicants come in. I was it's like, so shockingly effective. Yeah, there was a while when we had like a marketing department and it was like, well, I have some stop marketing department, but it's all different people now. And they'd be like, hey, um, here are the things that we need to do this quarter. Um, and they'd have like a list of three or four things. And then there'd be another slide and it would be, and also needs to tweet at least three times about this initiative. <laughs> yeah, It was like a, a metric that they were tracking. It was like an OKR. Like we need to get awesome to tweet this many okay. times about this many things. I feel like there's a direct correlation between willingness to get called an idiot on Twitter and earning money. <laughs> I appreciate you hanging out with us today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, you will love my episodes with Rolling Fun with Al and Bo. Similar energy. The most recent ones are number 53 and number 49. Also, uh, Kevin Espiritu is an, another amazing conversation with similar to Al and Austin, like scrappy early start. Uh, been a CEO and founder all the way from the beginning, doing it all themselves to hundreds of millions in business. Um, great lessons learned in that one. That's episode number 16 in about Epic Gardening. And another founder, friend, and CEO, Brett Koff, number 40, the founder of Omela and Remind, excellent at customer-driven development, very thoughtful uh, leader and product builder. So please check out those episodes. Check out athenago.com and madebybread.com, our sponsors for this episode, uh, or invest alongside me and my partners at Rolling Fun. Links to all of that is in the show notes for a free way to support the show. And one more time, please leave a quick review or text this episode to a friend or coworker you think would enjoy it. I love you. Thank you. Goodbye. I really appreciate you hanging out with us today. This is all about laughing and learning, building leverage, and compounding our faces off. What our brains aren't evolved to comprehend is how much leverage is possible in modern society. There's a revolution going on, man. Uh, go pay attention to it. Get a part of it. Get exposed to it. You're going to make money along the way. You're going to have fun. The call to adventure. This is the new form of leverage. Take a few quiet moments for yourself. Breathe deep and be well. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. 
Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.